Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Let me pray as I get ready to preach. Lord God, I thank You for the opportunity we have to come around Your Word. Your Word is alive, it's active, and it's working in and through us. So by Your Spirit, empower us today to be all that we're called to be in the Name of Jesus. Amen. Today, I want to start a new series, a new focus as we head into the rest of the month, a series about resilience. I'm I'm convinced that one of the greatest qualities that followers of Jesus can nurture and carry as we press into our future is a resilient faith and a resilient spirit. In fact, I would go so far as the most inspirational people to me, I would say the common denominator is that they are resilient people. That these people could be in different fields and different areas of life, doing the different amazing things and maybe with different gifts and charismatic and graces and whatever. But the most common denominator that I find is that they are at their core a resilient people. People who do not take no for an answer. People who do not hesitate. People who do not accept things as they are, but are willing to press in and allow God to work in and through them to create the future He's called them to create. I love the idea of resilience. Now I was thinking through how resilience is built up and empowered in people's lives, even from a young age. And I'm mindful of children's sport and the powerful tool that children's sport is in building this idea of resilience. It used to be a lot better at building resilience than it is now. I remember the season I spent as a basketball coach of a kid's team. Everybody got a prize at the end of the season. I remember playing basketball and just being called a loser when you lose. Things have changed. But sports is this great agent that teaches some level of resilience as people grow. And some sports are kinder in the resilience matter than others. I mean, if you're growing up playing footy, then if a team scores a goal against you, then just grab the ball, kick it and score a goal back. Resilience is that ability to bounce back even when they're coming up against you. Or in rugby union, when you miss a tackle, well, hopefully you've slowed down the person enough that they can be tackled by the next person. That resilience is that sense of, I'm just gonna get back up again. But there are certain sports that test people's ultimate resilience. My son, Liam, 11 years old, picked up one of those sports last summer. We're gearing up for it again. He dedicated all his Saturday mornings to the most amazing resilient sport possible, cricket. (laughs) Now, I grew up playing cricket as well and I was very excited for Liam to do it. But see, Liam and I are wired a little bit differently. See, when I played cricket, I didn't care about batting. I literally did not care about batting. I wanted to come in last. All I wanted to do was to swing that bat as hard as I could. And if I edged it for six, well done. If I got out, I didn't care. Because then I would get that ball. And with all the 11 and 12 year old rage that I could muster, I would then come in and hopefully not peg that ball, keep my arms straight and bowl basically what is a round thing of concrete at somebody and try to hurt them. And I I loved it. I loved it because if I bowled one bad ball, then I can just go down to my marker and just line up again. And if I bowled one good ball and over, well, I was happy. But my son, Liam, is wired a little bit differently. He can bowl, but he loves to bat, which is so unfortunate. (laughs) Because think about this as a sport, cricket. He's, He's great. I'm just unfortunate that he's in the batting. 
He dedicates his Wednesday afternoons to training, getting in the nets where there's no repercussions if he makes a mistake. And then you get there on the Saturday and if we're going into bat first and he's putting the order, it takes him about 10 minutes to put his pads on as he loads it up and he puts all his protective equipment on. And then it usually takes him about half an hour with me throwing balls at him, warming him up, getting his legs moving, feeling comfortable. Me geeing him up the whole time. Come on, son, you're going to hit a six. Come on, son, you're going to do amazing. And then one of his players gets out and it takes two minutes to walk out onto the pitch, only for him to line up and then five seconds later to get clean, bold and out. (laughs) And then to spend 10 seconds running from the pitch to the edge of the field, crying and screaming, and then 30 seconds to strip all the protective equipment off and throw it in the bag and kick it away. And then another hour to run around and just calm down. I feel so bad for him. He spends all this effort for five seconds of action that he gets out to. And that's done, there's no coming back. I remember his very first game, he got out immediately and it's like he's looking around saying, that can't be it. (laughs) No, it is. Cricket is the ultimate game of resilience. But the cool thing is, and I don't force him to do anything. I ask him, do you want to keep doing this? This is going to be his second season. He loves it. He loves it. I don't allow him to shy away from the discouragement and the disappointment. He needs to process that because it breeds Resilience. You know, the Scriptures are filled with resilient people. People who, their common denominator was a resilient faith. The very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, you'll read in the end account there of a man named Joseph, who through no fault of his own, almost, he was sold into slavery by his own family. He was then unfairly imprisoned for something that he did not do, And he was then positioned to become Prime Minister of Egypt. Resilient faith. Oh, there's another person that's mentioned in Daniel. There's a whole book about his life, how this young man was stripped of his identity, stripped of his name, stripped of his language, removed from his homeland, removed from his family and forced to live out a whole new life in a land that was not his own. And how through his resilience, He chose to worship God even at great pressure to Himself, rising up to become the key advisor to the King of Babylon. Or there's another one, there's a book called the Book of Ruth, which is about a woman, a a widowed woman who loses her husband and she's given the option to go back to her home country or to follow along with her mother-in-law who was left with nobody to care for her and was destitute and lost. And Ruth decided to go back with her mother-in-law to her mother-in-law's homeland and she ended up eking out a life as a beggar only to find the man of her dreams and be married by what is called the kinsman redeemer, a family member of her late husband who took it upon himself to protect her, to love her, to provide for her and not just her, but her mother-in-law. Think of all these people. Think of being Joshua, who's raised up as a slave. All he knows is making bricks, only through resilience and determination to end up becoming one of the greatest warriors recorded in Scripture. So the common denominator is this idea of resilience, a resilient faith that overcomes, that does not accept things as they are, but is willing to press in and see the work in the Kingdom of God advance. Resilience means the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties 
At its core, it's a toughness. Resilience means the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. So much of the Bible is founded on this idea that we are called as followers of Jesus to be resilient, to be people who allow the work of God to flow through our lives as He takes ground in and through us. The book of Romans captures, I think, a framework for the resilient. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Could you just say that with me? Rejoice. Could you just say that one more time? Rejoice. Rejoice. We're going to come back to that because that seems ridiculous in this context. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's not saying we rejoice in our victories. We don't rejoice in the fact that we scored six runs. We don't, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, I believe here in this Scripture captures this idea of what it means to have a framework of resilience. That those who are truly resilient in life know what it means to carry with them ultimately a joy through it all. This idea to rejoice in suffering is something that is so foreign to me because the moment things get tough, my natural default action is to withdraw or even bail from time to time that it would be far from me naturally to choose to embrace the situation that is causing the suffering, the tribulation, the testing, the pressure. That's ultimately what that word means, suffering, a point of pressure. And that all I wanna do is to avoid those situations. But yet here, the writer of Romans says, in those moments, rejoice. Because it's doing a deeper work in you than you could ever imagine. And that I'm convinced for those of us who have followed Jesus for a long period of time, that the key to a mature faith belongs to those who rejoice even in suffering, who don't run from pressure points, who don't run from opportunity to grow, who don't run from opportunity to dig deep and see what the Holy Spirit is really saying. But instead we choose to be people that go through and endure. I believe that we're called to be people who carry joy through it all. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always. There we go, again. Rejoice always. Are you serious? Are you serious? Don't you know how hard it is? Don't you know how much of a challenge this is? Don't you know how much I'm struggling, even just to get up in the morning? How dare you tell me to rejoice? You have no idea how tough it is. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Okay, so there's something that I need to process through. Give thanks in everything. I wonder if the keys to this idea of gratitude are actually found in Scripture first. To be a people that don't allow situations to hijack us, but we had hijack situations by bringing a thankfulness that God is even working His grace in the most pressurised environments. Give thanks in everything for this is God's will. Hold on, I thought God's will is that everything would be perfect for me. I thought God's will is that my life would just go without a hitch. I thought God's will was that I would never face a battle at all in my entire life. But what if it's God's will that in this broken world, we show up 
and allow Him to show up through us, to bring the broken things right. What if it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus? In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it a great joy. This is getting highly offensive now. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Joy through it all. Now, I understand that for us to really grab hold of this idea, we need to understand what the Bible means when it says joy. I said, when I approach the Bible, I approach the Bible like a living book, a living book that is still speaking to us today, right now. And so what would God say to us about this idea of joy? First thing I want to say is joy is not happiness. I know that can be challenging. I know that that can come against the norm. But see, happiness is dependent upon everything going right. Happiness depends on us going to Boston Burger, which is probably the best burger place in town, and getting your meat patty perfectly cooked and everything positioned perfectly in that burger. So as you put it into your mouth, everything just sings. That's happiness. Actually, happiness is Boston Burger. That's happiness. But here's joy. Joy is going into that situation and finding that maybe things aren't as ideal as we would have hoped but appreciating the fact that we're blessed enough to be able to buy the burger in the first place, that we're blessed enough to be able to enjoy the food, that we're blessed enough to be able to choose to honour God with what we have. See, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is circumstantial and so dependent on things outside of our control. Whereas joy comes from this idea that I'm able to receive from something that is not dependent on what's around me. Here's some of the thoughts of what joy means biblically. It means mirth. I don't usually say the word mirth, but mirth means to find joy in things, to enjoy things, to choose to enjoy life. Gladness, fullness, pleasure, cheerfulness. Here, ultimately, biblically, is what joy means though. It means a calm delight. A calm delight. Do you know that joyful people are people who are able to delight even in the midst of pressurised situations, who bring with themselves a presence that is almost, I would say, supernatural, where they're not looking to the left or to the right to please them, complete them and make them whole. But instead, they're showing up with what God has put in them so they can minister a calm delight out of themselves. Joy is a challenge. And we're resisted because we're told things like you're not enough. We're told things like you need to have this to be complete. You need to have that. You need to wear this. You need to be able to do that. They're all just lies. Crouching in, doing their best to allow people to live from the wrong framework in life, that everything depends on your happiness. No. What about the most resilient people being those who have joy through it all, even those who rejoice through suffering? The quality of being able to enjoy life fully, gladly, with calm delight through it all is what it truly means to be a resilient person. You know, somebody really jumps up to me in the Scriptures, uh, somebody's life that challenges me about what it means to be a resilient person. Somebody who takes ground no matter what, 
His story is captured throughout much of the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. His name is David. When we first introduced to this man named David, he is a shepherd. He's a shepherd working for his father. He's the youngest son of his father and He's been ostracised almost because in the culture of that day, you do not give the shepherd's job to a son that you particularly love. You reserve jobs around the household for those that you want to keep close. And the ones that you don't want to keep close, well, you send them out to the fields, out to the pastures to look after the sheep, often going even weeks without spending time with the family. And David, we're first introduced to as a young man, was relegated to this for whatever reason. He was not considered good enough for his family. But into his family visits the prophet Samuel. And Samuel has a very clear directive as he's speaking to David's father, Jesse. He says that God has put it on me, Samuel, to anoint out of your family the next king of Israel. The very next king of Israel is gonna come out of your family, Jesse. And so Jesse parades his sons, bang, 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 bang. The strong, the, the great, the charismatic until Samuel sees them all and says, surely you have another. What? I mean, David, hiding out there as a shepherd? You mean him? He brings in David and David is anointed as the next king of Israel. Somebody who knew what it felt like to be rejected. Somebody who knew what it felt like to be ignored and neglected. We find accounts of David being out in the wilderness and he was so staunch about protecting the livestock of his father that when the lions attacked the sheep, he fought the lion off. When the bear attacked the sheep, he fought the bear off. He was resilient to his core, not needing even the encouragement of his father, that he was willing to serve and honour God no matter what. We're introduced to this guy and it's said about him in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that he is a man after God's own heart. And that is what qualified him to be the next king of Israel. But his battle of resilience didn't stop there. After he's anointed as king, he then had to have an extended wait, serving the previous king of Israel, giving his all as the greatest warrior, leading the armies, even to the point where he was neglected, where he was ostracised, where he was even exiled because the king Saul was so jealous of everything that David had and attempted to strip him of his very life. But David chose in the midst of it for resilient faith to honour God no matter what. He lived the life of somebody who carried what I believe is joy through it all. And I know this for a fact because many of David's own prayers and worship songs that he wrote during seasons of great testing and suffering and trials are captured in our Bibles in a book called the Book of Psalms. You know, I, I just wanna encourage you for a moment. If you struggle in your prayer life, one of the most powerful things you could choose to do would be to just work through the Book of Psalms and just take one Psalm a day and say it out loud and pray it because actually what the Book of Psalms is, is the captured prayers and worship songs of somebody who knew what it meant to be resilient through it all and carry joy. And so David wrote many of the Psalms and in them you see him processing the reality of life. You see him honestly coming to God, working through some of the worst of the worst and he does not hide the pain. He does not hide the discomfort. He does not hide the challenge. He comes to God in everything 
and in everything He surrenders. And one of His Psalms really jumps out to me. As we talk about having joy through it all. Psalm 16, verse 5 to 11. A Psalm of David captures this thought. Lord, You are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole body rejoices. My body also rests securely. Verse 10, For you will not abandon me to Sheol, which is another word for hell. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Now, if I can, just to seal this thought of what it means to have joy through it all, if I could encourage us as a church to take these words of David, somebody who knew what it meant to be resilient, somebody who knew what it meant not to accept resistance as, the, as God's answer to a problem, but instead allowed God to work in and through him the victory that was meant to happen. So David eventually became king of Israel, the greatest king. He led them into amazing victories and through it all, we have here captured moments where what allowed him to succeed, where maybe others would have failed, where maybe others would have given up, where maybe others would have said, enough is enough, I'm bowing out. What allowed him to resist the resistance and to practise the resilience was that he carried joy through it all. A calm delight where he was able to find things in life that were worth celebrating, where he was able to champion the cause of God through him in all situations. And if I could just submit to you to just look at His words and see how it breaks down over us today. That in verse 5, it says, Lord, You are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. Do you know that the greatest resistance we often struggle is an anxiety about the future, is what's going to happen. Because we, we don't know, it's so hard to predict not only what we're gonna do from day to day, but what somebody else is going to do from day to day. And that it is so easy to be caught up in this idea in our head that we can even predict what's going to happen. And we get caught up in this thing called anxiety, which is losing sight of the now to be captured by a future that is out of our control. And David, as somebody who knows how to carry joy through it all and a resilient faith, positions himself to God and says, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. He positions himself in a place where he knows that he needs to receive. Do you know the most powerful position that you and I could put ourselves in is to come before God, knowing that we don't have it all together. Knowing that we are desperately needing Him to fill us with life. That You are my portion. You are my portion. More powerful than my bank account more powerful than the things I do or do not have. You, 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 you are my future. It's a powerful position to live in because it stops the shutdown. 
Do you know it's so easy to get shut down when we don't know what to do next? Here's all I need to say to you. Be like David. Just do what's best. Do the next best thing. That if you were to go in tonight and start reading his life in 1 and 2 Samuel, you'll see that most of the time, David was simply somebody who just did the next best thing. Maybe he didn't know how it was gonna play out, 10 moves down the track, but he just did the next best thing. God, you hold my future. And so I'm just simply gonna give you now, I'm gonna do the next best thing. In verse six, he says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You know that gratitude is this idea of finding things to celebrate even in the midst of the pressure. Father God, I'm so grateful for the family You've blessed me with. I'm so grateful for the house I'm able to live in, whether I'm renting it or paying it off. I'm so grateful for the opportunities You've given me. I'm so grateful for the job that I have, even if it's not the job that You want. That there's a sense of gratefulness that comes into those who are truly resilient because they're able to carry joy through it all because they learn to appreciate the journey. They're not thinking that their life has to be constantly lived at the finish line. What they're looking at is the journey that God's leading them through. Life is meant to be lived on adventure. As so our Lord, lead us through it. And in that, allow me to appreciate, Lord, all that You've given me so that I don't miss the moments that I have. Verse seven, I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. That never happens to you, I'm sure. I'm sure that never happens to you that from time to time you might be trying to go to sleep, but you can't because your thoughts are just raging, 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 raging. And if I could give you a solution to that, I'd just echo the, word, the words of David himself who practised resilient joy and acknowledged that he didn't have all the answers, but he could seek the one who does. Do you know that Jesus said, it's better for you that I go so that I can send the one called the Counselor, who is the Holy Spirit. Do you know that for anybody who has given their lives to Jesus, you have available to you the very Spirit of God Himself that wants to take residence in you. And Jesus called this opportunity the Counselor. Do you know that Holy Spirit Himself wants to guide you into all truth so you can live a full life. You are not alone. Even when your thoughts are raging as you're on the bed, the Holy Spirit is available for you just simply to say, Lord, I have no idea what to do. All I ask is that I can rest in You. Lead and guide me. Verse 8, I always let the Lord guide me. It's good to let. Let go of the steering wheel. Let go of the director. It's good to surrender and say, God, guide me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol or hell. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. Here we go. In your presence, in your presence, I'll say it one more time. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Now, as we journey through this focus on resilience, 
I've got to say this idea of joy originates in the heart of people who are willing to seek God, to seek His presence and to allow Him to fill us and our space. You know, the whole reason that I wanted to highlight Psalm 16 to us as we launch into resilience is that it's not the only time that this Psalm is referred to in the Bible. See, a thousand years after David wrote that Psalm, it was used again by another person, a guy named Peter. Peter knew what it was like to give up, knew what it was like to allow pressure to shut him down. He was one of the people chosen by Jesus to be what we call His Apostles. His chosen sent ones, the people that He spent the most time with in His earthly ministry. Peter was one of the key guys, he was a fisherman, an unlikely choice, somebody that many would not have chosen for themselves, not because fishing's bad, but because in that culture, he wasn't considered learned enough. He wasn't considered smart enough. Jesus chose him. And see, in the Gospels, you capture the life of Peter is constantly filled with failure. He has slips of the tongue. He makes mistakes. He doesn't do the right thing. And at the last occasion, you see, after Jesus has been crucified and buried, Peter has gone back to his old life. He's given up three years of his life following Jesus. He's gone back to fishing and he's trying to forget about it. But the resurrected Jesus finds him and tracks him down and invites him to have a barbecue breakfast on the beach. And in that barbecue breakfast, Peter is restored for every time that he failed. See, through the trials and the temptations and the pressure, Jesus never gave up on Peter, even though Peter gave up on Jesus. And it's the heart of God to constantly pursue and connect and engage and draw us back into who we are and who we're called to be. And so Peter grabbed hold of that and never again did he allow himself to succumb to the resistance. From that moment on, he developed resilient faith, joy through it all and lived his entire life honouring Jesus with everything that he had. And in Acts chapter 2, you get an account of Peter who after being filled with the very Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, goes out into the street and he gets with himself and he stands up amongst the people and this fisherman who was uneducated, unlikely, preached a message that led 3,000 people to faith in Jesus. And here's what he used as his message notes. He used Psalm 16. He used the words of David about having a resilient joy and faith. He got up in front of everybody and he said, I wanna tell you where true strength comes from. It comes from this one called Jesus who loves you, who gave Himself for you, who is calling you to live the life that goes beyond, that overcomes, that takes ground. He used Psalm 16, the very words of David, to preach about this one called Jesus, who is the abundant joy, who is the one that empowers and equips, who is the one who gives us strength at our right hand, who is the one who stands with us through the points of pressure and allows us to live a life of resilience. As a church, I want to empower us as we go on. I'll tell you the truth. The whole reason we're doing this series is because I went to the shops a few weeks ago to pick up milk for the coffee bar. It was before a Sunday. And I looked down and I saw the newspaper there. I can't quite remember what the headline was, but it was just full of so much fear, so much loss. And I was caught there as I'm about to pay for the milk for us to have coffee. 
And I was caught in my heart, it is so easy to live by fear rather than faith. And if you allow yourself to be consumed with those pressure points, you'll miss out on the joy of the journey and everything that God's made available. Church, as we prepare to seal the deal, I wanna give a challenge and one encouragement. Here's the challenge. If you are facing resistance in your life right now, do not stole it. Do not lift it up. Do not give it the authority to dictate who you are. Choose to respond with a resilient faith. Choose to press in, to even hear the counsel of God. Even at the dead of night, when you can't go to sleep, where your mind is racing, choose to be a people that put yourself in a position to say, but what is the heart of God for this? You are called to be an overcomer. You are called to be more than a conqueror because God says this, all things work towards good for those that love Him. That's a promise. But that's a promise to fight for and fight with, to see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just challenge us to be a resilient people, to carry joy through it all. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.